And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Hello, everybody, and happy Monday. We are coming at you from, uh, what, Monday, October 8th. It is here. This is episode 81. Appreciate you joining me once again. Um, So this will be the final uh, episode of The Drop Set. Before I leave on vacation, I thought that joke was cute last time on Friday, uh, so now it is officially worn out its welcome. So, no, the show will continue in perpetuity, no worries on that front. So, I'm going to keep this extremely short, extremely brief. Um, I recorded an interview um, just a couple hours ago with uh, Kimberly Helm, who's an IFBB figure pro, and she had a lot to talk about. And so, that interview ran for a while. So, I'm going to keep the introduction here on the short side. Um, we're going to do a quick little interlude here and then jump right into it. So, um, just trying to think if there's anything super noteworthy um, to address here. I don't think so. I did yesterday. I put together a new workout plan that will be going online soon. It's actually totally done. It is, if you really, really hunt for it, it is actually online right now, as a matter of fact, but not quite ready for public consumption. I've got a couple of people test driving it. Um, it's all done. It's just I don't have the video playlist for it assembled yet. So um, the the PDF is actually available, um, and this is uh, the, the name of the program is Intro to Ascending Threes. And if you've been following um, my post closely um, I posted on this a, a while back and I've had I've had I've incorporated a little bit of this work into a couple of the workout plans that I have online right now well this one is built all around it so ascending threes is a protocol that I came up with um, which is uh, well you know what I'll spare you the details for the next time safe to say it, it's something that you haven't experienced before and it's going to throw you for a little bit of a loop. So um, the idea being that all of the workouts in, in here are built around uh, incorporating that in various ways. So um, just trying to shock the system a little bit and kind of recalibrate your own internal intensity scale a little bit. So this is one where um, the, the split is, is organized. It's chest and shoulders, back, arms, two leg sessions, and then there's one total upper body pump workout as well, which um, should uh, should be a lot of fun. And I, I don't know what got into me yesterday. I was writing this thing, and I just went a little bit crazy with stuff. So I really kind of threw everything that I could think of into this. Um, not trying to overdo it on volume, but just different techniques, different tactics. So um, look for that. It should be posted uh, perhaps later this week. I might get a chance to, uh, well, you know, I'm going to need to do a little bit of recording work because I, I did plug some new stuff into this that I don't have any videos done yet. So it uh, depends on how uh, how busy and how with it I am. I, I doubt anything is going to get posted while I'm on vacation, but I want to give you a little preview for that so you know what's to come. So at any rate, without further ado, let's get to it. Let's see what Kim has to say. Follow Darren on Instagram at Darren underscore star to see client profiles, updated workout plans, and tips and tricks on training and nutrition. Okay, everybody. So I wanted to bring on a voice today, someone other than my own, uh, that can speak to some of the finer points of competing and what it really takes to be successful at it. Somebody who has been there, done that, done it well, and done it at a high level also. Somebody who is a who has a true competitor's mindset, somebody who is never satisfied and is always looking to improve each and every time out. And I've got exactly that person here today, and I'm going to grill her on everything I can think of so that we can all hopefully learn just a little bit. So this is Kimberly Helm. Hey, Kim, how you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you doing? I can't complain. Well, I can, but nobody nobody wants to listen to that, so I don't. <laughs> um, first question for you is a really basic one. So 
bodybuilding is hard. Um, we all know it's a lifestyle. Why on earth do you do this? There's a few different reasons. I actually started bodybuilding more so just because I've always, I've always been a gym person. I've always enjoyed the gym. But bodybuilding is one of those things where it allows you a different perspective because it's based on aesthetics. So if you are already physically strong but you don't have the look that you want, it's something where when you're trying to capitalize on both of those things, it gives you that opportunity to do so. For me, bodybuilding is more about mental strength matching your physical strength. So in order to be successful in bodybuilding, it's about 80% mental, and I think that's the case with many people who are competitive in any sport. And then the rest of it is based on what you can do physically to match up to that. But as we know, bodybuilding is based on aesthetics and what people think of how you look. So you have to be mentally strong to be able to deal with whatever that opinion may be. That's true because, I mean, you have to have kind of tough skin because you're putting yourself out there and basically saying, here I am, judge me, tell me everything that's wrong with me. Absolutely. You're basically begging people to pick you to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess the question is not only why do you do this, but what on earth is wrong with you and all the rest of us as well? Clearly we have some kind of sickness here. <laughs> that we ask for such punishment. You know what? It's, um, there's a fine line. There's, there's a fine line. And once you're able to go to a competition – and, I, I mean, for me, that was probably one of the, the biggest growth periods for me in, in my life is when I went to my first competition. And when you go to a competition, you present yourself on stage and you know that you're being judged based on how you look. When, you're, when you walk off that stage, your pride should be in what you accomplished on your own. It is absolutely a me versus me uh, mentality, but at the same time, you're there to compete with other people, of course. So... If you can walk off and still feel balanced in who you are, you've won the game. So that's the biggest, that's the biggest trick of it. I mean, it's really you feel a sense of accomplishment when you are able to handle input from other people and feedback and balance that with real life. I really like that, and I wish they would uh, give you uh, awards or placings based on how you looked at your previous show. <laughs> but unfortunately, that's not how it works. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's funny because that's one of the biggest challenges with people who compete is that you, nobody else sees your story, right? If you, you go up there and all the work has been done behind the scenes, which is why bodybuilding is one of the most challenging sports out there because something else like strongman or a CrossFit competition or something where you're doing the work in front of the judges, that's very, very different. This sport requires that you do the work behind the scenes. You're going in there you are the only one, for the most part, who knows 100% of what it took to get there. And the rest of it, you are just, it's based on how good you are at showing it off, and then you have to trust that the process is going to yield return for you. That's true. I mean, bodybuilding would be very different if you were judged on how you prepped for a show. It's like, okay, now we're going to have the dieting component of the show where we put food in front of people and watch them not eat it. Exactly. Let's try to tempt them with everything that we can think of. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe that's a good event to happen like during intermission at finals or something. Who knows? <laughs> so speaking of show day, so I know that you are at a, a show this weekend. Um, now, this was outside yes. of Nashville, correct? Yes, correct. Um, it was actually the Volunteer State Classic show. Um, it was out in close to the Lebanon area of Tennessee. And um, that was a lot of fun. That was a little bit of a smaller show. It's a great show, especially for uh, people who are new to the bodybuilding sports to get their feet wet. It was great. Great, Good production. And, and so I saw you, you were actually MC for finals. That's correct. Yep. That, that was, is super cool. Think, How do you get that gig? 
<laughs> so, you know, for, for years now, so I started getting into bodybuilding um, as a competitor in 2012. And the first thing I wanted to do was learn. I'm a, I'm a very, uh, very much an, a project manager kind of a, a mentality. So in real life, in the corporate world, a lot of my focus is on project management and operations which lends itself to a certain mindset. So for me, in order to be successful at anything I do, one of the first things I do is research the heck out of it. So when I started going to competitions, the first thing I would do is pull different videos and look at the venues, see what it looked like to be on stage, look at the competition, see what the judges expected. And the one thing I wanted to do was start volunteering at these shows is to be a part of it, to understand what goes into it. Who are the people who put on a production? What does it take to be successful in the sport? Is it something that I want to be part of? So, I so you can really like see how a show is facilitated from behind the scenes. Absolutely. So like anything you can do, you know, and it, for me, it's, you know, all it does is, is benefit you. It helps the people who are putting on the production of the show if you volunteer your time. But it also gives you insight into who, you know, it helps you establish relationships. And it, it gives you insight into what's expected and what it takes to be successful. So once I started doing some of that, um, then I started to get to know people in the industry and started helping backstage or behind the scenes. And then just through word of mouth and communication, um, there was an opportunity at this volunteer state classic show for the MC. And I said, absolutely, put me in. I would love to do it. And I love speaking to, um, I love speaking to large crowds anyway. And what a, what, a, what a great way to be involved with the competitors and the athletes in the sport. That's so cool. I've always thought that would be a fun gig. So it's good to hear confirmation from somebody who has done it and recently that it, it, it's probably as fun as I think it is. Oh, I love it. was great. I loved it. I probably butchered a couple people's names on the <laughs> Well, that, that's going to happen. You can't help that. For that. But it was a blast. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's all fun and games until I go to announce the first competitor that has an 18-letter last name. And then I'm like, okay, I'm out. Forget it. I can't do this. Exactly, exactly. You know, you have to deal with the, uh, the last-minute um, hiccups that come along with it when the, when the mic suddenly goes out because you, you, know, you lose sound somehow or oh, yeah. whatever the case may be. But it's, it's a lot of fun to just, you know, you utilize it and just roll with it and have a good time. And the athletes are great about it. So it's, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it very much. Very cool. So and you I mentioned really booked the show for next year to do the same. So it's been really great. awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you can you can start brushing up on your routine and all your uh, your ad lib jokes and stuff right now. So you'll have some fresh material for next year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you had mentioned that you started in 2012. So um clearly a bit of a journey from there to where you are now. So kind of walk us through some of the highlights, um, like some of the key shows, um, you know, what, what was your natural, I'm sorry, your national um, competitive experience like? Um, and then when did you turn pro? And then what's the experience been like since then? Well, that's a lot of information. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So start so, talking. <laughs> so basically what, what happened was, as I mentioned earlier, I've always been a, a gym girl. I, the first thing I did when I got my driver's license was start going to the gym. And I That's didn't hilarious. Have, as, a, as, as a youth, I'm sorry? That's hilarious, I said. It's, oh, it's absolutely, for sure. That's the first <laughs> thing I did. And as a youth, I was very introverted. I was very, very introverted. Looked at the ground, didn't make eye contact. I didn't have any confidence until later in life. So the gym helped me a lot to grow that. I was always underweight. I could never gain weight. Um, so once I learned how to help myself have confidence in the gym, and a lot of people at the gym in my life were contributors to that, um, but when I moved from Houston, Texas, which is where I grew up, to Charlotte, North Carolina, I moved here for a job in 2012, 
And the first thing I did when I moved here, I didn't know a single person here. So, of course, the first thing I did was my go-to to go to the gym. And every night, because I didn't know the area, I didn't know people, and I thought, well, this is a good place to start. So I started hitting the gym every night, and the head trainer at the gym saw me in there working out all the time and said, hey, you're in here working hard. You, you know, you're, you're gaining muscle. You're already in good shape. Why don't you put that work to use um, and get up on stage and see what you can do? And I, that's how it all began. There was a gentleman named Dwayne Hampton who actually was the promoter of this show last weekend. Um, and I met him. He saw me in a training. He got me into my first competition, which was an amazing experience. And I started competing in 2012, had great success at it. I was very fortunate. Dwayne did a wonderful job as a coach. Um, he supported me from a friendship and coach standpoint, helped me understand what the expectations were to be on stage and how to prepare for it from a nutritional and workout perspective and get stronger mentally. And I was able to place very highly and win overall at the first few shows I jumped into. Wow. And then, yeah, I was able to qualify for nationals pretty quickly right out of the gate. But Dwayne, being an awesome coach, um, there's a lot of people who think that once you do well at something, then you you know you're immediately qualified to jump to the next level, and that's not always the case. And especially for me, um, he he made me go through the paces and earn the respect of the industry, and make sure that I knew what I was doing before I grew to a larger stage. So make sure you're ready for I that bigger stage. Oh, yeah. I mean, even though I qualified for nationals right off the bat, he said, nope, not yet. You're not ready yet. Sit back. Let's, let's go to the next, the next larger show and let's see how you do there. And let's go to the next larger show and see how you do there. And then once I started getting my overall wins consistently, then I he talked to some of the judges and said, is she ready? Is she ready to go to nationals? Will she be competitive if she goes? And the feedback, when we finally got feedback that was supportive, and they said, yes, she's good to go, then we had the green light. And I jumped into um, the shows that were in Pittsburgh, so North Americans. Mm-hmm. Had a great national show experience. Was second place for three years in a row. I missed my pro card by one spot three years in a row. <laughs> and so, so one of the values of a good bodybuilder, we just learned right there, persistence. Absolutely. Absolutely, because you sit there and question it. Because, again, you can be mentally strong as much as as much as you can possibly be, but you're still human. And at the end of the day, you still want to win. You still want to do well. You still want to feel like you accomplished something. So it's still difficult if you don't do as well as you think. Because like well, we it's, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of expense to put into a national show as well. And so to come that close year one, that close year two, eventually you're going to start beating yourself up and starting to question things, I'm sure. You know what? Such a good point. Such a good point. And that's exactly the case. So you, you do put forth a lot of expense and time off from work if you're working a full-time job. And there's, there's a lot that goes into the lifestyle period. And prep is challenging at a different level when you're trying to prepare for nationals. So it's, it is frustrating, but at the same time, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to be placing well to where I knew. And I, when I hit the stage, it was one of those experiences where I was backstage before I went on and I was looking around at everybody around me and I thought, you know what, I feel like I belong. I feel like I fit in. I feel like I can do this. And that to me was a big indicator of I'm, I'm sticking with it. Even if I don't do well, I'm sticking with it for a while. 
you know, here's a question for you that comes to mind, and I don't know this this may may sound um, I don't know this, this may sound a little harsh, but let's say you know you finish second at a show like that. Hypothetically, yeah. how do you think that would compare if as, as opposed to let's say you got like fourth call out or something like that? Do you think that would be more of a wake up call, or maybe would it would make you say, you know what, maybe I need to take a year or two off from this national stage, not come back next year, spend more time focusing on stuff versus being so close and you're like, great, is there another show next weekend because I'm ready for it? I mean, have you thought right. about that? For sure, absolutely, because um, th- there are always shows that you go into where you don't place as well. And and you have to take into consideration how close you are to the top and how close you are to the bottom. And for super, you also want to take into consideration the feedback from the judges and your coach, your support system. So what I've learned is that the best way to be successful is to rely heavily on your support group and you need one, if at all possible, whether it's friends, family, coaching staff, gym people, whatever the case may be, there's a shred of something that you need to know in all of their feedback. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, if one person says, oh, gosh, I think you would have played so much higher if your hair color was brown instead of blonde. <laughs> you know, I mean, you have to take a little bit of everything in, with a grain of salt, right? You're going to hear some things you don't want to hear and some things that are very, very valuable. Yeah, I, th- I think you should be four comes- inches taller, for example. <laughs> not, not, like, not helpful. Not- <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where, look, genetics is absolutely amazing come into play regardless of what you want it to be at some point when when it comes to how far you can go in the sport but you can only do as much as you can with what you have to work with so if you place bottom of the call out you have to sit back and go okay am i doing this it depends on your mental state and what your goal is are you doing it for the experience or are you doing it to improve in your rankings every time if there is a goal let's say you're very introverted and the best way for you to get over it is to keep getting on stage and keep competing. If that's your goal and it doesn't matter what your ranking is or what your placement is, then go for it. Then go ahead and get back on stage. If that's what you need to get to the next step. For me, um, I also think that one of the considerations is if you are going in, understanding what the cost is, the time factor, and you're going in to improve on yourself, if you are consistently placing low, Yes, absolutely. That's probably a good indicator that you should step back and say, okay, let me take some time to work on some of the things that I've received feedback on before I go back and hit the stage. That's a great point. Another consideration also is if you are this hypothetical person who's getting fourth call out at a national show, then you know there should be a pretty clear indication as to what you need to work on to improve versus if you're coming in second, like, okay, well, what do I need to improve on? I need to make sure that the person who is coming in first isn't at the next show. That's what I need to improve upon. Maybe I can help myself a little bit, but you know, if not for that, I'd be winning. So the, the difference Absolutely. is once you get higher and higher up towards the top, it's like very, very subtle versus if you're, you know, fourth call out towards the bottom, there's going to be some clear things like we need to improve on conditioning. We need to improve on development here, there, et cetera. You're exactly right. And that's, that's one thing I will say. If I had gone to a national show when I initially qualified for a national show, I probably would have been in that last call out because I would not have been ready from a experience and mental perspective to understand everything that is truly required to be competitive at the top of that sport at that level. Well, and you can you can finish second in an open class at a show and be nationally qualified, but if you're not winning the class at your local show, you shouldn't be going to a national level show unless you just want to get on that big stage and see what it feels like. But again, 
that's a lot of expense for that kind of experience. True, and there's you know, and also you want to think about how you're contributing to the sport itself because when you do finally, let's say you sit back and you're working really hard and you're waiting for the right time, so you and your coach feel like you are ready to hit the stage, and then finally you go to nationals. You want to know that there is good competition on stage with you. You want to yeah. feel like. You know, you are around other people who are going to challenge you. Like, you are there for a reason. Um, you don't want to be handed to you. You want to earn it. You want to earn it. And so you want to make sure that you are representing your best self and what is expected at the judge's eyes to be able to go on stage. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when was it that you finally broke through and won that pro card? Was it North Americans again? You know, it wasn't. I actually ended up going for my first time to Team Universe in New Jersey. Uh In 2016, um, I thought I would change it up a little bit and try that show. I went there in three different classes because I was a master's competitor. So I went in figure open, and I went in master's in two different classes. And all three classes, I qualified for my pro card. That that and, almost makes up for finishing second three years in a row. It, almost. You know what? I will. I can genuinely tell you that I will never ever forget that day as long as I live. Not not as long as I live. It was the most amazing, rewarding experience. That you know, sometimes you almost have to work a little bit harder. It's not a bad thing to get knocked down. You don't understand what is happening. You would love to just have everything fall into place and not have to work as hard just to make it easier. But you learn so much through the trials and the challenges. You really, really do. And then once you finally achieve it and you're there, it's the best feeling on the planet. Very cool. Very, a little behind-the-scenes question here. So with, with that experience, do they actually give you three pro cards? <laughs> no, not at all. So what they will do is they will give you a pro card, so basically, you win a pro card for that division. So let's say for me, I was in figure. I won a pro card in the figure division. So after the first class that I qualified in to, as a pro, um, the next two classes where I was at top rank, they would go ahead and default that pro card to the next person who was behind me. So basically, so, so you don't figuratively suck up all class, three of them. Yes, correct. So basically, they'll they'll go ahead and default down to the next person who was in line. That's nice. So they're not being super stingy with how they hand those out. Correct. That's correct. Nice. Nice. So, and, and that was, that was 2016. You said, uh, team U, So that would have been like early, early July. So then, yep. um, what did you do that? Like, did you take a bunch of time off or did you be like, all right, pro card, let's go to it. What's, what's been your competitive history so far as a pro? So what I initially did was I was my, my, in the back of my head, my original plan was, okay, if I ever, you know, when I get my pro card, I'm going to sit back and work real hard on my physique and then go in there and, and do the best I can and just do it at my first pro show. Well, I had a conversation with my coaches right after I, I achieved my pro card at Team Universe. And, you know, they had a very good point. They're like, you know what? What if you are already in good shape right now from Team Universe? What if you just jump into a pro show right off the bat and just go get your feet wet? See where you fall. See where you are right now before you do any work. See what the judges' feedback is. See how you feel, if you even like it at the pro level, and then let's put together a game plan. I said, you know what, let's, let's do it. So I jumped in the uh, Linda Murray Pro Show that was in Virginia. And um, I ended up, you know what, I ended up holding my own. I believe I was 
gosh, I'm trying to remember where I placed about halfway through the pack. So okay. basically, I think they were oh maybe 25 pros at that show, and I was about halfway through in my in my placement, and I was thrilled with that. As you know, just going on straight from nationals, I was absolutely perfectly fine with where I was. Of course, yeah, that I was that better, was how but... far removed from Team U. I'm sorry. That was how far removed from Team Universe. Um, I, that was within six weeks. Okay. All right. So just a continuation of that. You didn't have to like back out of prep at all. You just basically like, all right, let's keep it going. Yep. Yep. I just kind of stayed. I just stayed lean. I just stayed right on with it. Just kept in prep mode and just jumped in that show. And then after I did that show, I was able to collect feedback. You know, and and two, there is such a big difference. So everything from how the registration is is handled at a, at the pro level is a little bit different than when you're at the NPC level. So it's it's just a different feeling. You actually see people next to you on stage that you've been following and as your mentors all this time. And it's it's an amazing experience to meet those people and see that you are actually right there next to them. You've earned this privilege. Um, and you get the experience of meeting them and getting their feedback and their encouragement and support. So I'm, I'm really glad that I did it so that way when I – when I went to my off-season and I decided to step back on stage, um, prepared for my next pro show, I knew what to expect going into it because there was already enough pressure at the pro level of how to step on stage and how well I was going to do. But at least I already kind of had some of the expectation pieces in play. Yeah, I, th- I think that's why, I mean, I th- you know, personally, um, if somebody was asking me, I probably would have advised something similar. Like, you know what, your conditioning's already here. Let's just try it and see what happens because then you kind of, you know, pop the cherry on the the pro shows, basically. You get that first one under your belt. You get a sense of where you stand in a typical lineup. And and in that case, I would say that's totally validation that, yeah, you can hang there. If you're finishing middle of the pack with your pro card, I mean, the ink is still dry on it, basically. That's a really good showing. Yeah, absolutely. I was thrilled with the decision. I mean, at first I was very hesitant and just have to be – I'll, I'll keep going back to this, and you'll probably you know, tell me to be quiet after scaling <laughs> this down all day long. But it really, it really goes back to where you are mentally. You have to be in a place that is open mentally to say, "I'm okay with going to this show and not going in to win it." You know, you have to understand the expectation of what you're trying to accomplish because that's going to change as you compete. What you're going in for, I mean. Like I said, everybody wants to win, but your goal along your journey might be something different. Maybe you go to a show to get the experience like I did for that first show um, and see how you do. And then maybe it's not about, you know, winning. Maybe the goal is, let me see if I like it. Let me see if I feel good on stage. Let me see if I can hold my own. And um, it was well worth it for sure. Well, and you know what? You can keep going back to that well of mental preparation all you want because that is a point that I try to hammer home with people all the time. And as a coach, um, you know, I'll work with somebody and, you know, we'll be, you know, spend a good bit of time getting ready to start in, to jump into prep and then we'll do it and it's a good four months and then we go through the show and then we reassess afterwards and invariably the feedback I hear is I just had no idea how mentally difficult everything about that process was going to be like, yeah, the, the physical routine and the fatigue, et cetera. And the, you know, the diet fatigue, hungry, you know, just sleeping all the time. That's to be expected, but just mentally how challenging it was. Everybody underestimates that. I think people know it going in, but they don't know it until they've experienced it. I I could not agree with you more. And that is such, such a valid point is, 
until you go through it, I mean, you really experience, experience, experience. That's really what it is that strengthens you as an athlete. It's just you can set the expectations and do the research all day long, and it is very good to do so. It helps set the stage, but you just don't hammer it home until you actually get it in play. Agreed. Agreed completely. So you're, you're in a, kind of a, a growth slash off-season phase right now, correct? That's correct. Okay. Now, do, do you have a, a specific term that you prefer for, for that, or do you care at all? <laughs> you know, I'm really, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. It's funny that you mentioned it. I was just speaking with somebody earlier this week about that because they are not fans of the term off-season or cheat meal. You know, it just depends on what your what your perspective is. But no, I'm, I'm not picky about it at all. So for me, I just call it my off-season. Yeah, I'm not picky about it either. I think people get too sensitive about that stuff. Like, it's a cheat yeah. meal, all right? I mean, it's pizza. It's a burger. It's a cheat meal. You know, get over it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, Anything that's out my, to me, if, if it's outside your norm, you know, you enjoy the cheat. Cheating doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. It's just how you associate it. Yeah, it's a sanctioned cheat meal, if you want to call it something. Yeah. Um, so for you, um, and I'm thinking like mentally, physically, your routine – outline for us how things change when you're in prep versus when you are in a growth or off-season phase? Big question. Yeah, and, that's, and it's, it's one of my favorites, too. It's the, I have gotten, I will tell you, I have be, I've gotten a lot better at that answer <laughs> because when I first started competing, um, I looked at, when I first started competing, again, I didn't have the experience behind me yet, but my interpretation of off-season was, oh, my gosh, I just finished these shows. Now I have a reprieve. That, that was how I associated off-season. I looked at it as a reprieve from the rigor that you put your body through mentally and physically when you're showing. There's now competing. all this stuff I don't have to do anymore. Correct. So I automatically went, oh, gosh, good. Now I have some downtime. I can, I can spend time you know, doing these other things that I feel like I wasn't able to focus on. And now I can have some of these foods and these meals and do these other things. And as I have matured as a competitor, I have learned that the better I am at my off-season, the better I am at competing. And the tighter I can stay through the holidays, through my off-season, now I look forward to my off-season as this is my time to grow. So what it used to be, my prep in my head when I first started and didn't know any better, I looked at prepping as, oh my gosh, okay, now I need to get it together. Now I need to start focusing on getting ready for our show. When yeah, it, let, let me stop food, doing all this crap I'm not supposed to be doing and start doing all the stuff exactly. I'm supposed to be doing like, now. Let me get disciplined. Okay, my coach gave me a 12 to 16 week time frame. Okay, let me start getting disciplined. Yeah, oh, and it's real now. Okay, not, let's go. <laughs> yes, I did not realize how much I was hurting myself by having that mentality, but I learned very quickly that, you know, you can, you, can, you can pull it off. You can, you can still make it work that way, but you are so much better. I am so much better. I can speak for myself. I am so much better when now I know my off-season means in my head, I know I cannot gain a lot of muscle in a calorie deficit. And when you are competing, when you're prepping for a competition, you, the only choice you have to lean down is working really hard at your nutrition and your training and that includes increasing your calorie count and it and includes getting as lean as you can possibly be. So it's not the, the ideal situation to be able to gain muscle. You should already have that going into your prep. Prep to me is for tweaking. So your off season is where 
oh my gosh, now I have this free for all. Now I have more food in my diet. It's still clean food. I still have a very, very rigorous nutritional diet and training platform that I work with. But now I have the ability and the time to grow. And I can set that pace. With my off-season and the consultation that I have with my coach, I say, now I feel strong. I've recovered from competition. I feel strong. I'm in a good place. Let the off-season begin. And then, so right now, my diet, you know, incorporates more food, more calories. And it's an opportunity for me to gain muscle without gaining a ton of fat. You know, I, w- I want to touch on that quickly. So you said your, your conversation with your coach, you said, you know, you feel like you have recovered from prep. What does that mean? Are you talking about like physical recovery, mental recovery? How, do, you know, how, how do you know um, when, when you need to recover and when you're, when you're kind of over the hump? So there is a, you know it when you get there. And I know that's a terribly generic answer. So yeah, that's not acceptable. I'm not going to take that. <laughs> so let me see if I can help with that a little bit. So, when, when you compete, it is a very exhausting and draining experience in a, in a good way, okay? Because if you enjoy being a competitor, you're willing to go through that for the competition. You put everything out there to be the best that you can be. When you do that, when you exhaust yourself from staying on point with your nutrition and your training and your cardio, you are putting your body in a, in a, in a sense and a feeling that it does not usually go through. It's not normal for your body to get that lean which is why it's not healthy to stay competition lean year-round. So once I finish a competition, there is, and we can talk about post-competition diet and, you know, that reverse dieting topic that everybody, that everybody like, cringes when they hear. <laughs> There's a lot that, that goes into becoming normal again. And what I mean by that is where you can incorporate some of the normal attributes of life without it having repercussions. So you are on a very, when you go through competition prep, the better you are going into prep, the less you have to do with tweaking your diet to be successful in how you look. If you do it right, you don't have to have a truly, truly difficult, hopefully, prep as far as nutrition and cardio are concerned. The more you cheat and the more you slip up, the more work you have to do to be best on stage. And again, so directly related to how good to your off season is also. Absolutely, for sure. And that's, that's one of the things when I say I've matured a little bit and I've learned the hard way by, by testing the waters and I've learned because I've messed up. So I've learned that when I cheat and when I go off the rails in my off season and I love to bake. So I'm that person who bakes everything not just for you during the holidays. <laughs> um, and I face my own creations. And when I learned that, Hey, you know, probably sitting down and eating those cookies and cake, you know, for, X number of days, weeks in a row, is probably not ideal for your, you know, for your competition status. It's just one of those things that you, you make the mistake, you learn it, and you realize, okay, now I, now I know. I've, I've pushed the limits and it was not successful. Now I know what to do to fix it. But, but for me, after a competition, to get back to your question, it takes me a good three to six weeks minimum after a competition to where I feel like I have recovered mentally and physically. So, your whole prep for a competition, your life and your mental focus is very much on that competition. When that competition is over, you lose a piece of you because because it's no longer a focal point. So you have to re- reevaluate and readjust your lifestyle. So a lot of that I find a lot okay of people now. really struggle with that as well when they have that carrot dangling out in front of them and now they've eaten that carrot. It's like, what's next? 
Exactly. Like, oh, my gosh, I don't know how to act without having a goal in place. Like, what do I do now? <laughs> exactly. So you, you kind of have to adjust with your diet, and you slowly start to reintroduce foods back into your diet where you build up your diet again um, to where you can incorporate fattier and carb foods that you weren't used to having at high volumes when you're going through your nutritional prep. And when you start incorporating those back in slowly – um, your body has to adjust to that. If you if you go and binge eat right after your competition for days and weeks on end, it's a much more challenging recovery. That's not necessarily healthy for you either. Yeah, you're so, setting yourself up for a really destructive rebound if you do it that way. Absolutely. Like the, the, as much time as it takes for you to prep for a competition is as much time as it takes for you to unwind almost for a competition. So for me, when I know there's a place where I get to right after competition. I still continue to move and, and, and do cardio and do weight training. I just make sure that I'm not going as hardcore because you're still recovering from um, being dehydrated and this and that. So you go a little bit easier. But you still stay with your routine so that you don't get out of it, for me anyway. I know yeah, that I, was, that I was I one thing I wanted to time, ask is do, do you scale back your, your training intensity post-show for a little bit? Yeah, initially I do. So for that first, you know, I would say definitely for the first few days after a show, I scale back for sure the intensity with which I'm training, though I try to keep my routine because I'm a very habit-based person. So for me, I would rather keep that routine and not get too comfortable. I don't want to get to where I'm, you know, sitting on the couch eating Oreos and ice cream afterward and then get really comfortable with that because that makes it harder to go back to the gym. So and I know a lot I'm of people, sure. even, if they, even if they love lifting, it's like you take a few days off and suddenly your body kind of gets used to that and you're like, I really want to go back, but boy, I really want to sleep in too. So I, I, I totally get that. And one of the things that I recommend for a lot of people, kind of depending on how their prep is gone and, you know, what the goal is afterwards. And some people might think this is counterintuitive, but, you know, they're staying in a hotel, whatever. You go out, you eat, great. You're going to wake up, you're going to hit some fasted cardio the next day, not because you need it, but because we need a signal to your brain that we still want your body to do stuff. Like I don't need you to go Absolutely. and kill yourself, but just maintaining a little bit of that routine can be so helpful going forward and kind of setting the stage for a good post-show rebound. You're exactly right. That's exactly right. And it's, it's you know, it's, it's one of those things to me that if you can nail your off-season, you will be such a more competent athlete when it comes to competing. It's just, it, and I tell this to you, because I do posing coaching too, and I tell this to my athletes all the time, there's no right time as far as time, you know, how you time everything, it, you just keep doing it year-round, period. When it comes to posing, when it comes to your nutritional values, your routine as far as cardio and weight training, you should stay consistent year-round until it, it, it is all habit. It is, part of your, it is truly a year-round lifestyle. It's just that the magnitude and the percentage of time that you spend on those things gets tweaked and adjusted throughout the season. That makes perfect sense. And one thing that you said earlier, I, I, I wrote it down because I want to get this on a t-shirt and it's, you know, the, the better your off season, the better your prep. Um, and that yep. really is just, I mean, they, they go hand in hand and, uh, I, the case in point, you see a lot of people that don't really have a structured off-season or a structured growth phase. And I always say those are the people that always come back looking exactly the same show after show after show. That's so true. And, you know, one of the, one of the biggest challenges is that this is not necessarily a, the least expensive sport to get into, right? So if you're paying for a coach, <laughs> if you're paying for a diet, if you're paying for training, you're paying, paying for programming or personal training either way, it's, 
it's a it's a constant cost. And so a lot of people will look at that prep period and say, okay, let me pay for the prep. And then, you know, when it comes to the off season, they um, discount the off season as something that is not a critical piece of the puzzle. Yeah, and, I, I mean, I, I, I see that all the time. Like, oh, I, I'll I'll work on the off season on my own. I'm like. That, that's great. I'm not going to force you to work <laughs> to work with me through your off season, but boy, a little bit of structure, a little bit of accountability. I mean, if you want to take this seriously, having that in place throughout that phase, that's really when you're going to make the money right there. It, you know what? It is where you make your big. To me, the, almost the most important part is prep. Is, prep has a completely different focus. The competition prep that time frame has a completely different focus. Your off season is one of the most critical in my opinion, one of the most critical pieces that you could possibly put into play to be successful for prep. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, so you are a, uh, you're a opposing coach as well out in North Carolina. Correct. So yep. uh, what, what's, what's the right question to ask here? So somebody is uh, wanting to start on their first show. When should they really start worrying about their posing? Um, in- immediately. So <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> so, so, so here's what I say, and honestly, my my forte and my favorite um, thing to do when it comes to posing coaching, I, I love working with the folks who've never shown before. That to me is just one of the. I, I love. I mean, experienced people, experienced athletes. There's they, there's a certain accountability to that that I, I respect and I absolutely adore, and it's a pleasure to work with experienced athletes. But the people who have never competed before to me that expectation is the most rewarding for me and the most exciting for me. So the when you should start paying attention to the details of competing, whether it's posing or training and nutrition, the answer to me is always immediately. Always start researching it and always start incorporating those things to some magnitude right away. That doesn't mean that you have to necessarily, if your first show, let's say, came to me today and you said hey I'm, I'm thinking about competing I don't want to compete until July of next year do you need to do posing training with me as a coach three times a week between now and next year absolutely not <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, although you'd be really good at it no absolutely it's not a requirement but is it something that you should start incorporating now to start in, to, to have the habit and understand what goes into it absolutely for sure it benefits you and I do my coaching um, with folks. I try to encourage it year-round. Me, myself, I do my posing all the time on a regular basis because, again, it's habit. The biggest thing about being successful on stage is practice, practice, practice. Everything from how you walk to how you are in heels if you're in a category that you're wearing heels, how you present yourself, how you exemplify your persona on stage, all of those things from – Posing to your personality and how you distinguish yourself on stage, those things are developmental and things that if you get on stage under a spotlight and you get nervous and you forget everything and your mind goes blank that you have done it enough times that your body just automatically takes over. Yeah, I, I tell people a lot of the times when they're when they're really starting to figure out how posing works is that you know it's like a golf swing there's 47 different things you've got to think about all at the same time and you've yep. got to just do it to the point where it's all kind of automatic so if you do have you know a brain fart it doesn't really matter i mean you're going to be able to you know just kick it into autopilot and hit it anyway and an- another thing that i've noticed also as far as you know 
uh, posing like year round working on it is that when you do it, when you are like at your heaviest versus when you're much leaner, you see things differently. And I think sometimes, and you can, I'd like your feedback on this as well. Sometimes that's going to necessitate, like you may say, oh, this pose looks great right now when I'm 230 pounds, but now when I'm 200, <laughs> ooh, it doesn't work so well. I need to tweak some things. But at the same time, yeah. you might see some things at, at, the, at a different weight and makes you think like, oh, maybe I should have been doing it this way, or maybe I need to, I need to remember this um, when I get down to where I'm going or when I get back up. What, what are your thoughts? Yes, absolutely. And there's, there's a few components to that. And I, I couldn't agree more with that is you see yourself when you, when you're a little bit heavier, it's, it's important for a couple reasons that you still continue to pose. Number one, it does teach you how to move in a different way because you need to see, you need to see what you look like when you carry a little bit more weight and it makes you work a little harder on a pose. So if I'm, if I'm carrying a little more weight as a female, um, and, you know, on stage, I hope to have a flat stomach. But as a female, when I'm carrying a little bit more weight, I'm going to have a little bit more of a stomach. I'm going to have a little bit more in the backs of my arms. And I have to exaggerate some of my poses to compensate for that. And so if I'm doing my side pose, for instance, for figure, I have to, <laughs> when I'm a little heavier in my off season, I'm going to learn how to suck that in just a little bit more than normal um, yeah. to try to still make the pose work for me. And it's, it's a good thing to be able to to experience that and get used to doing that because it's only going to help you when you get leaner. Yeah, like the, the more you can suck it in when you're heavier, the more you can suck it in when you're leaner too. And true, and you also see your weaknesses more when when you know when you aren't as lean. So like it kind of gives you a a little bit of a preview of hey, you know, I'm not perfect right now. So what can I do? Get in the right mindset when you look at yourself and you're like, okay, I'm not stage ready. There's some things posing is all about showing off your strengths, making the judges look at what you want them to see and hiding your weaknesses because we all have the weaknesses, all of us. So when you're a little bit heavier and you have a little bit more weaknesses that you're trying to hide, it just kind of helps you get that perspective of, okay, what can I do to tweak this posing to get better at that? And it also helps you appreciate your body at different phases because that's, that's so key. Know they that don't is so key. They don't want to get in their little bikini or, you know, when you're heavier in your off season, you're a little bit more, a little more sensitive. Yeah. Well, I mean, you might be worried about tearing a connector off or something like that. I mean, <laughs> depending on how your off season is going. <laughs> true. Um, very, very true. Now, one other thing. So this is something that I would ask of any posing coach, just because I think a lot of the people listening here would find it very helpful because this is one of the things as somebody who, you know, I don't get hands on time with anybody. Everything I do is remotely. So I'm trying to use words and visualization techniques to help people. So you get somebody who says, Kim, I want to do a figure show next year and let's do a posing session. You're like, all right. So they come in and they just have absolutely no body coordination at all, no mind muscle awareness at all. And so you're trying to get them to hit a front pose and you're trying to teach somebody how to flare their lats. Do you have a go-to technique for teaching somebody how to ride that bicycle for the first time? That is, that is, boy, you picked one of the hardest ones for a reason, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. flaring your lats <laughs> is the hardest thing. <laughs> hardest thing and um, I think it will be learn. helpful for people to hear that from a posing coach so because a lot of people struggle with that and I, I've helped people with their struggle through that and sometimes it's just so hard to make it click so uh, please continue yes absolutely and I and I will throw this out there before I before I um, tell you how I usually approach it 
the more muscle you have, the easier it is to feel your posing. So if Very you true. are if you are just starting out competing and you haven't built that muscle yet, it is so hard to feel that mind muscle connection because your muscles aren't that developed yet and it makes it really, really hard. So it's it's just so much more of a challenge when you first start. And you know, for me, I didn't I didn't get it again until I started to grow more muscle. And then when I pose, I'm like, oh my gosh, now I actually feel the last moving. So, so much easier. Before, now. I just kind of went off of what people were telling me. But right. for laughs, there's you have to keep explaining it in different ways until it clicks with that person. But for me, um, when I'm talking to somebody and I'm trying to explain laughs, there's a couple ways to go about it. Number one is pulling your shoulder blades down to the floor. So part of what brings your lats out is if you are hunched up, if you're, if you're pulling your shoulders in toward your neck, then you are, you are taking away from your width. And the whole point of bringing your lats out is to extend your width across the, the top of the back. So if you are standing up straight and you are taking a deep breath to expand your width, then try to pull your shoulder blades down to the floor, almost like you're trying to pull them into your vertebrae. You know, you're trying to pull them down and in, and when you swing them down and in, you should be able to flare those laughs out at the same time. It's also like if you are putting your arms around a tree and hugging it, when you lean forward to hug that tree, your laughs come out. When you lean forward to do a big bear hug, you can almost bear hug yourself. If, you, if you're standing up, I'm actually doing this while we're on the phone. If, you, if you're standing up, and you're hip hinging and leaning over and you hug yourself, you hold that position and then just hold, keep holding that position, but then just slowly raise your upper body to where you're leaning back toward the judges or the camera and your lats will stay out. And then it's just a matter of moving your arms out to the side, but you're holding that shoulder position the whole, the whole way through. That, that, okay, so that's that different verbiage, but that's pretty much what I tell people as well. And oftentimes you've just got to find the right combination of words that registers with yep. somebody in their brain. So what I tell people is flatten your scapula. So you should yep. be flat up against your back. Um, and then uh, what I often tell people is push your shoulders forward and then lift your sternum, which is kind of like, you know, hugging yourself and then lifting up your chest as well. Kind of the same exactly. thing. But, yeah, yep. I, I like that hugging the tree <laughs> example, too. You know, I've, I think had, that I've had to do sense. that. It's, it's almost like um, I've literally – it's so funny because when you pose in front of other people, they, they look at you like, what are they doing? <laughs> oh, yeah. I've literally had people, you know, when I especially when I first start to work with some folks and – I will literally sit there and we'll, we'll almost try it. If, if the flattened scapula or trying to pull your shoulder blades down, um, if that doesn't work, that's one thing I do is we sit there and physically like give ourselves a hug and then just kind of roll the upper body back, you know, where you're kind of sitting back a little bit. But it, it does work, and there's, it's just more difficult when you don't have the muscle development to see it. That's, that's what the biggest challenge is with posing. Yeah, because if you're lacking development, then you could nail it perfectly, but you can't really see it, so you don't know. Exactly. That's exactly it. And you kind of, it's almost like when you first start out, and it's, it's one of the, to me, it's one of the fun parts about being a newcomer to the sport is that you, you have the evolution to look forward to. It's, it's, you know, setting the premise and helping somebody to establish um, the, the path and the journey. That is just the best part of the whole thing. And it's, it's one of those things where as you thicken up and you get more muscle and you start to feel it and you see someone's eyes light up when they start posing and they can actually feel that muscle connection for the first time, it's just the coolest. (laughs) 
That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and you know, so, I'm, I'm getting. Yeah, I kind of drink the Kool Aid. I love this stuff. <laughs> I, I'm getting kind of a kick out of this because I'm just imagining people who are listening to this during their cardio and they're like grinding away on the treadmill and they're like moving their shoulders all over the place trying to figure <laughs> out how to how to connect with it. So I'm, yeah. I mean, everybody listening along, if that's you, just know I'm I'm laughing with you, not at you. So. <laughs> Absolutely. I have a I have a few opposing uh, clients who are. Um, far away, they're long distance. They're either in you know Europe or somewhere else on a military base, and so we have to do virtual posing. And so that you have to really get, you have to really approach it differently from a verbal perspective on how you explain the posing. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Kim, that, that that that's all I got. I think we covered a lot of ground though. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to, uh, anything else that you wanted to go over? Do you have any projects you're working on? Anything you want to promote or anything like that? You are so sweet. You know, I'm, I'm, first of all, I, just, I want to thank you for the opportunity because I've been following along your posts and, and your podcast and what you've done. You are such a positive influence on the sport, and you have a fantastic personality. Honestly, that's one of the things that um, – one of the reasons I wanted to participate in this is because I, I really like how you handle yourself, and you're, you're very honest. You're very genuine. You know, you're, you're trying to help people in the industry, and I think that is something that we really could use more of. And the sport itself, you know, I just want to tell anybody who's listening, if you're just starting out, if you're thinking about doing it, even if you do a competition one time and decide, hey, it's a one-and-done deal, it's a bucket list item, I don't need to keep competing, or you do it one time and you absolutely love it, it is so worthwhile. You meet so many good people. You learn so much about your body and about your own personal strength. You, you get yourself to a level that you, you wouldn't normally do in, in regular life, and it can be the most motivating, if you allow it to be, experience um, that you could possibly have. And you could influence so many people that you don't even realize. For me, um, I am comp- continuing on my competing journey next year with, with pro shows. I absolutely love competing. I'm a master's competitor. I'm still able to, to be successful at the open level, which I hope to continue on with next year. I am Heck 44. Yeah. I'm going to be 45 in November. And honestly... I age to me, I get better with life every year. I don't let that stop me a bit, and I hope that you don't either. It's, it's fantastic. So just go enjoy life. Make the most of everything that you can. And if bodybuilding happens to be something that you entertain, feel free to shout out. You know, if you have questions, you can hit me up on social media. I'm more than happy to spend time with people and just answer any questions you have, let you know about experiences or things that resources you can utilize to, to better yourself. Well, and speaking of, how can people find you online? So if you go to, um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook. I do more Instagram posts than anything. I don't do a whole lot on Facebook. Um, But you can look me up. My name is Kimberly Helm, H-E-L-M, but my Instagram name is Kim X Small, which uh, people give me a hard time about all the time because (laughs) when I first started, (laughs) I was a little bit more petite when I first started, and now I've, I've, I've grown some muscle and I've thickened up a little bit. Well, and so now we call that, I, I believe that's what's known as an ironic username. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just haven't changed it because everybody knows my name now. But yeah. if you look up Kim X Small, then you'll find me out there on Instagram and you'll see my competition history. I post some things that are personal, some things that are motivational. I post things about my nutrition and diet and training challenges, the goods and the bads that go with it. Um, so, and it's, Full it's transparency. We do. like that. Uh, like there's transparency, you know, I mean, there's only so much you can do on social media, but I'm, I'm more than happy to um, have a separate conversation with you, whether it's, you know, via 
messages or phone, whatever the case may be. If I can help you with your posing or just understanding the industry, I'm happy to do it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Kim, that was awesome. I appreciate uh, well, I appreciate you coming on here. appreciate being open, willing to talk about all this stuff and sharing your story with us. It's been awesome. I think people really got a lot from it, too. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Best wishes. All right. Take care.